This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? I do. Mr. King, you're a member of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, is that correct, sir? I respectfully decline to answer that under the... Uh, protection afforded me by the Fifth Amendment. They just ask if you're a teamster, sir. I respectfully decline oh, okay. to answer under the all protection right, fine. afforded. I'm going to show you a photograph, all right? I respectfully wait, 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 decline wait, 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 to answer wait, 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 under wait, wait, the protection. Wait, wait. You haven't even seen the photograph yet. Look at the photograph. Wait a smidge. I want then to avail myself of my right under the Constitution as I understand it. Jim, let him avail himself. Uh, oh. Oh, okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. I'm, I'm Alan Katz. And I'm Gil Adler. Our guest today is someone that I've never met. It's a, a friend of Gil's, a longtime friend of Gil's named Barry Primus. And an exceptional actor. A really an exceptional actor and then became a writer and a director. He's worked with everybody. Uh, he came out of the actor's studio in New York. And so his 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 entire background in, in, in the New York theater and, and the, oh God, it's a, it's a who's who of all the giants of, uh, of that era. Uh, and of course there's Scorsese and, and De Niro and, the names that get dropped in this episode are huge. Now, you go back a long time with, with Barry. I go back a long time. In fact, when we first started talking recently, we couldn't figure out how we know each other. We knew we know, knew each other, but we kind of didn't know how. It was it, It's kind of lost in the fog of time. Yeah, and it really goes back to two things. One, my producing partner on Broadway and off-Broadway, Jack Tempshin, introduced me to a number of people, including Bobby De Niro, way, way back and Barry. But then also, as we were talking in this interview, Barry mentioned that one of his first plays that he did was a production of Dr. Salovey's Magic Theater by Stanley Silverman. And I was the company manager on that play. And I realized, oh my God. That was God. one of your, your first theatrical credits, wasn't it? Oh, it was my first theatrical credit. Your first. Yeah, it was totally. Um, and re I realized, oh my God, I know him from Dr. Salovey's Magic Theater. That's how that's how I originally. And then I think after that, Jack Temption said, I know this guy. He's a friend of mine. And I was like, oh, wow. And then that's how it started. He's an exceptional actor. I remember when he was in The Sting and I saw him in The Sting. I was so excited because here was a young actor that I knew. And he was he was in this huge movie, The Sting. And I was just so tickled and so excited about it. He's an exceptional actor an exceptional performer and, and, and just an exceptional person. And uh, it was an exceptional conversation. Here's the proof. As we've talked about many times in this podcast, theatrical training is, is we feel like it's essential, essential for, you know, for any actor. Um, of course, your theatrical training is right. extensive to say, to say the least. I'm still doing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And 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 that's an important thing to uh, to know. Uh, hey, all of our crafts 
hopefully we are better today than we were yesterday. And hey, there's always hope for tomorrow that we'll be better than today. I'm better. I just don't have the time to use it now, you know, but I'm better. (laughs) There you go. Well, I'm a member of the Actors Studio for years and years and years. And so I'm always going to sessions there and we're working on things all all the time. But before you came to acting, was acting essentially your that uh that infinitesimal point from which everything explodes was was yeah it was i was always interested in performing i i, I won some talent shows as a kid and uh sang and danced and uh, and you, I, you 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 were you were you were, were you born in new york city yeah i was born in new york yeah so in- all right so you're you're in the environment to begin with right. it's not like you have to go you have to find I, your way to it right my my two sisters went to performing arts high school. My grandmother had been in and out a little bit of the Yiddish uh, theater, part of the, uh, that that incredible period. Wow. And my mother was totally, totally, totally enthralled with, uh, with, with uh, stories and reading, but particularly with the theater. And so um, I guess, uh, you know, I, I grew up with the theater arts magazine around the house all the time. So indeed, you you were doomed from the get go. Yeah, I, I I I was I was kind of doomed from 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 the get go. And then, let me see. I I wasn't a very good student. I went to music and art high school for music. I was great in show and tell in school. That that was my big thing, you know. I got up and told a lot of lies about what I did that weekend. <laughs> And I always, you know, beguiled people, but that was good. I did because I was a terrible speller, not a very good reader. I had uh, eclexia, I think. I think I did, but nobody in those days analyzed it. So I was always struggling uh, with uh, school. And and um, I guess when I was 17 or 16, I think, I read that Circle in the Square was having, or, or no, no. Before that, I, I I read that their dramatic workshop in New York City, which was in the Capitol Theater building at that time, um, was uh, having uh, auditions for a scholarship, and I went down to 14th Street to the Labor Temple, and during lunch, and uh, won this scholarship, and so I went during the. Right after school, I went to the dramatic workshop, the senior dramatic workshop. I always tell Bob De Niro, somebody I that uh, Gil and I know for a long time ago, and that he was in a junior dramatic workshop. So I always say, you know, listen, <laughs> listen to a senior whenever you have an opinion like that. Give <laughs> give way to somebody who. So I got that, and I was in there and went to went to tonight school with all these veterans at that time. Veterans Bill of Rights, hmm. and I studied, fell into the hands of, I was very, very lucky. I, I had seen a play called Girl and the Via Flaminia, play about a young soldier who, in Italy who, who uh, falls in love with a prostitute who's needy in post-war Italy. And, and it was directed by Jose Quintero, and it was oh, right. Circle in the Square. So it was the only play I'd seen, I think, up to that point. Well, lo and behold, I was sitting in, and I saw that Circle in the Square was having auditions maybe two or three months later. So I went down and, and they took me up into a, a room, a tiny room. And there was Jose, charismatic figure. Do you, do you remember what you auditioned with? Yeah, sure. I, I think I sang something that I wrote on the guitar. 
<laughs> sang some songs that I, I did. And then they sent me upstairs and I, I met Jose. I said, you know, Barry, he kind of looked at me. He used to drink a lot, Jose. He he looked at me with love, kind of, with that loving look of his. And said, Barry, uh, I was 17. He said, I'd love to have you in the play, but I need, I need, you know what I really need? Someone to play the, the banjo and dance and sing. I said, I play the banjo. He said, oh, I didn't know that. He said, well, do you really? I said, yeah. He said, well, come on back and audition. So I didn't play the banjo, but I went to Third Avenue <laughs> and for $25 or $20, I bought a banjo. And, you know, I only had to play three chords or something and sing, cover it up with singing. So then they called me and I went down. I uh, auditioned and I remember walking around the block looking at the Hudson River. I was in a state of praying the way one would pray for I don't know what and I went home and my mother said Jose Quintero called you I said what I said yes but when I think I think they, they he said that he wanted me I don't remember how it happened or whatever but I realized that my life had changed completely that was it there's never been another moment quite as um as important as that moment to me, I feel. It, it really, your life took a forward step in a direction from which it has never retreated. Never retreated, but, you know, I was not that happy uh, with my life and and uh, it's a complicated home life. And, and suddenly I saw the reason for my being. I mean, really. Hmm. I went down there and, and uh, I was, of course, the youngest member and, um, and uh, I had to get out of high school. And I kept, you know, uh, finding reasons. This, my mother was sick. I think I said my mother died once. I went over and over. I was thinking of things I hadn't used to get out of, get out of school. And one day I was in my class and I, I had said to Jose, I, I don't know if I can make it. It was like a run. He said, you got to make it. You're our angel. You got to be there. So I said, oh, right away. So right away, I was in class and somebody sent me down to the principal's office. And they said, your father called and she said, says your mother's very ill. You have to go to home right away. I said, oh, shit. I got to go home right away and I got to go to Circle Square. Just as I was leaving, he said, hey, Barry, I didn't know you, you, your father had a Spanish accent. Uh, <laughs> <yes>. Yeah, well. They <laughs> had called, called the school and got me up. So I was, you know, I went down there and, and Jose at that time was eating fire. When he talked, it was just the most spirited, lively, real deal of being with people who were uh, possessed with a, a great leader and a great idea. We were doing King and the Duke, which comes from a, a chapter of Huckleberry Finn. It was written by Francis Ferguson, who was a famous scholar, and they had written this piece on... on uh, Really, it was an outline, I guess, of American racism. And, and uh, you know, it's like a very thin way he lands, uh, lands in this town and uh, with, with Jim, the slave. It was a Jim, the slave, you, you know, the slave, but they were escaping. It was thrilling. It was uh, thrilling. We had a, a workshop during the week to keep the actors busy. And in it were some wonderful people, including a very good looking guy. In a kind of trench coat, he used to sit and smoke cigarettes and look handsome and charismatic. And of course, it was Jason Robards, out of work actor. 
Wow. It was one of those age favorites. So I was with all these people, you know, and I was so, I can tell you this, Felicia Landy, who was a, was a wonderful actor. And by the way, he was in, in Killer's Kiss, uh, which was, uh, you know, Kubrick's first. Right. And I used to walk him home. So he would walk his dog and go upstairs, get the dog. And then I'd walk around the block and he said to me, Barry, how old are you? I said, I'm, I'm uh, 17. He said, you're going to be dead by 21. You ask so many questions, and so, many, so much on your mind. You're so, you know, you don't leave anybody alone. You're such a nudge about everything. You're going to be dead by 21. Take it easy. You got a whole life ahead of you. So I was very infatuated with all these people. They were all my surrogate fathers and mothers. And I did lots, I did a lot of little plays around town. Well, one of them, Gil saw me, and, and one of them was Dr. Selavi. Right. That was down where you would. Oh, leave. wait a second! You know something? That's how we. I think that's how we originally met. Yeah. I was. I was uh, the. Yeah, Lynn. Lynn. Uh, um, Coca Cola Mercer Arts. Right, and it was Lynn uh, Austin. Uh, was it Lynn Austin? Who was the producer of that? Lynn. Lynn Austin. Lynn Austin, right, right, and I was the manager. She hired me as the manager. Pardon me. She hired me as the manager on the show. That show. Yeah. Well, so you managed it. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley Silverman wrote it. Of course. Yeah. And and, and, and Richard you know, Foreman directed it, right? Richard Foreman? Was, was it, yeah. Uh, that's that's when we first met. Well, I thought you were in the building because of Coca-Cola. No, Coca-Cola came much later. Really? I yeah. We did we did Dr. Salavi, and I think it was the maybe a year later or two years later that we brought Coke over because I, I found Coke while in Edinburgh and I brought it into London first and then we brought it into New York. Right. And, and I was a producer of that. And that was after Dr. Salovey. Dr. Salovey was like, like my first job in theater. So when Lynn you know, said, yeah, we, I, you, could, you should manage this for me. I was like, what do I sign up? You know, And it wasn't even a question of pay, you're going to pay me too? Oh my God. She was, a, she was an adventurous... Uh... Yeah, she hired me for for that, and we went up to um, St we went up to Stockbridge, and right at the at the in Lenox, the music inn or whatever it was, in it, Lenox Art Center. Lenox Art Center. Then we went up there and did and worked on that. Later on, uh, Lynn and I, uh, Lynn uh, hired me, and I did the Indians with her with Raul right. Julia, and, and then she also. Let me direct my first play at the Stockbridge Playhouse when she became the head of the Stockbridge Playhouse. Wow. wow. She, she was very, uh, she was important in my life. And then she apparently died by a car accident, got hit by a car in New York. Really? I, I, I never found out what happened to her. Um, yeah. Her partner was a very famous uh, designer, uh, a theater a theater uh, production designer. Austin? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Um, I think he actually designed the sets for My Fair Lady. It just seems to me that that's coming oh, to me. Wow. I don't know. Um, but I can't remember his name. But yeah, she gave me my, my first job. I mean, it was it was nuts. It was. <laughs> that's great. So I must have seen you around. Was it the Mercer Arts? It was at the Mercer Arts, yeah. We had not seen each other, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How, 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 how green. I remember Stanley. You know, Stanley did everything in a kind of abstract, you know. With the yes. Yeah. And he wanted you to, I was thinking about that taking a shower today. For some reason, 
because I was thinking about the talking today and I was thinking about you meet, meeting with the martial arts. And that came to how, you know, he wanted me to just do things, but not connect them one thing to another thing. Well, yeah. that's kind of against the logic of an actor. Yeah. So I did it. He loved it. And then I began to fill it in with my own logic. And he stopped me one day. Barry, you're ruining the play. Stop it. So I had to go back and, and disconnect try everything. Try to find a way to not have logic for the next moment. It was interesting. It was the music was very good. Stanley. Yeah, the music was very good, and I can't remember the name of the woman who was in it. Amy was it Amy? No, not Amy. You talking about became a movie star? Yeah, she was in Hair with my you know my wife choreographed Hair, and she was in Hair at that time with her. Wow, you're talking she, about she choreographed Hair the movie or or the play? Oh, the, she choreographed the original productions on Broadway, London. Band, all these places. And what about when it was in, at the Shakespeare Festival? Did, did she start out with it there? No, that was Anna Sokolov, who Julie worked with. Right. Anna, when they closed at the public theater there, they put it in the Cheetah, which right. was a nightclub. Disco club, yeah. And Anna didn't see herself going to the Cheetah, to a nightclub. She was, a, you know, Anna was a great choreographer. You, you have a, a, a an interesting creative relationship with, with Anna Sokolov. Yes, I did. Anna Sokolow was a, a primary mentor in my life. Anna Sokolow was one of the great pioneer choreographers. She started out working with Martha Graham. She came from a Russian Russian immigrant background and they never learned to speak English. And she joined, uh, she joined Martha Graham's company when she was like 16. She was the youngest. She was a fantastic personality and a fantastic artist and later on when i worked with jerome robbins he hired anna for everything to teach us everything he, he was crazy about anna she was she was the real deal when you auditioned for jerome robbins i i, I saw an, an interview that you did where he described your your audition the worst as, as the worst audition ever where did you see that that's great that's true there's a book on there's a book that quotes that there's a yeah. book resort on on auditions i i gave i i came to see jerome robbins that anna sent me for anna sent me to meet two people of my life jerome robbins and leah kazan anna sent me to those people so i came to see jerry and auditioned for this play called oh dad poor dad mama's hung you in the closet oh, sure. I'm yeah i'm so sad well i couldn't make head or tail of a goddamn script <laughs> but i had to meet jerry so they had given me the thing and I was looking at it. And then they called me in. Jerry was at the end of a long hallway sitting at a, a desk, nothing on the desk, just a little tiny desk. And I came walking in and he kept watching me with a cigarette, biting on the cigarette, looking at me. And then I, I read and he said, uh-huh. Now that's the worst audition I've ever heard. <laughs> the worst. He said, what were you thinking? I said, oh, I don't know. Listen, Anna Sokolow sent you here. Anna says you're very talented, and Anna is somebody who knows things. Now, I don't know, from listening to that reading, whether you're either an idiot or you're extremely unique talent. I have no idea. But since Anna sent you, I'm going to put you in the play. Let's try to find this out. Don't ever do that again, he said. Now get out of here. And I left, and that's how I got my job with Jerome Robbins, mind you. And then Jerry became a very important person in my life. What makes a great teacher? Uh, 
Well, I'm trying to be. It's a big job. You, but you've seen it from from both sides. So, okay, what makes a great teacher? Well, well I think you just hit it. I think I think seeing it from both sides. I mean, that's you got to understand where they where you came from and where you're going. And today, I think you're right, Barry. M most kids don't want to know where they came. They just want to know where they're going. I think you said in a PBS interview uh, something to the effect that directors need to experience acting in order to understand how to direct actors. Well, that's true. I go back and forth about what to do as teaching, how much to allow the student to find their own way, how much to, to give it. Uh, I sometimes wonder, I say to my wife, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know this. I'm going to go somewhere. I know I teach some, sometimes in Lithuania. I've got involved somehow. In, One of my students was in, in Vilnius, I've, I've, I've yeah, seen. In Vilnius, wonderful city. And, mm. and I got involved. Do you have any other connection to Vilnius? Did, did, did your people come from, from Vilnius? Well, I have a lot of connections to Vilnius. After I was I was there, uh, they, we're not Lidvox, which you come from. By the way, it's a very important strain of um, God. So many great people coming from Lithuania. Lithuania was at one time called the Jerusalem of the North, and before Israel, every Jew in Europe, most Jews, a lot of Jews in Europe, were trying very hard to get into Lithuania because Lithuania had a, a fairly free society. I have my a big piece of my family came from 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 Vilnius. So, you know, I, I, I have a connection to the place. Have you ever been to Vilnius? No, but I, but I plan to. Well, it's a very moving place. Uh, uh, they had a horrendous uh, uh, percentage of uh, Jews that died during the Holocaust. They Indeed. only, I don't know, it was 97, 98% of them. An amazing figure of that. And, um, never forget. Never forget. Never and you know, I one of the reasons I did enjoy, I do enjoy going there, is I feel I get in touch with um, that culture that's gone, and at the same time, maybe I'm bring some uh, support to mm -hmm. that whole, whole whole situation. I I talk about Jews in America. I go there's a friend of mine has a Jewish uh, library. He's not Jewish, but he's. He could, he has a Jewish library of books and things, and I sometimes give talks there about American Jews and this and that. So I, I enjoy being a little bit of an emissary. It's a heartbreaking and beautiful, beautiful uh, history you know, to look at. In terms of teaching, I want to just say this quickly, is my wife always says to me, Barry, what they get from you, whether you're going to be, get, they get this or they get that, the bottom line is they get you. And I think in answer to, I know it makes a good teacher. Mm. It makes a great teacher, whether it be Kazan or Robbins or Jose, uh, is uh, who they were. Mm. They were, they were in body what they were teaching. And they, they, they were themselves the thing that they, they hope that you would get. Uh, Jerry was just a, a uh, an artist. You, you mean you had a cup of tea with Jerry with an artist. Everything about him was um, was. Uh, 
That's Jerome, Jerome Robbins. You, you, you mean? Yeah, I'm talking about Jerome Robbins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got to be an assistant. It, it wasn't Jerry Lewis. No, it wasn't Jerry Lewis. Who's also talented, uh, but in his way. But, but Jerry was just, uh, you know, to be with him was was a lesson in some ways. You know, you were always with him. He's always interested in everything, and his questions were always interesting. And I had some amazing times. Well, why not tell you the story that nobody ever thinks about? Nobody thinks Jerry Rob, Rob, Jerome Robbins was, a, you know, a, a fanatic about control. Of course, he was in all those things. Perfectionist, of course, he was in all that. Of course, he yelled at people. Of course, he was abusive. All these things. But he also was many contradictions of the same thing. I remember I came to see him at Fiddling on the Roof, a rehearsal. They were re we were rehearsing, and I, I met Jerry for lunch. He was a fantastic person to have lunch with. He was with a Chinese restaurant, talked about things. All these great people have a naivete about them. It's like they're just beginning what they're doing. They just look at everything as if it's just starting over and over again. I remember Jerry once took lunch out and showed me a plie because I was dancing in something and working with him about something. And the way he explained it to me, it was like it was the first time he had discovered it himself as he showed me it. And I thought, my God, this is the first lesson he ever had in dance class when he was six years old. He talks about it as this magnificent concept that he's fascinated by. He's taking lunch out to show it to me. I thought, well, that's what it, that's what what great 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 people have. They just have this interest in it, whatever it was. And when and, and when they were into when he was into that, everything else fell apart. All the ego, all the ambition, all the everything you think about him. That's when he was. That's where he was at. That's where he was at. So I was once in, I'll tell you, I don't think anybody even knows this, but I was once in a rehearsal with Jerry. So Zier Mostel, who was a theater animal beyond theater animals, you know, Indeed. unstoppable theater animal, who I used to see in Ratner's restaurant down on 2nd Avenue, remember Gil, so sure. great roles. And so oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic waiters. Who would tell you off, you know, all the time. I one time my father and I had the big menu, we were looking at it, and, he, and I we looked at it for a few minutes. What do you want? He said, What do you want? What do you want? The devil yeah, really kept saying, Come on, come on, what do you want? I said, Well, well, what's it? I think we'll have two um Barry, right? Two mushroom and barley soups. He said, Big deal, grab the menu and walk off. <laughs> And they were incredibly fantastic characters, you know. Yeah. Nobody could fire them, nobody could hire them, you know. They were just they just were there. But that that's it. You don't want it, you don't get it, you get it, you want it, let's eat, let's go. Next. <laughs> you know, that's it. They're in now. But Jerry Jerry was sitting in rehearsal with 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 um, with me. I was alone with him in the in the aisle watching and he said to Zero, Zero would put his hand, I think, I think it was Austin Pendleton was playing the other part and was playing the part and, and he ha hands him a bowl or something. And Jerry, and Jerry was supposed to take the bowl and either maybe drink out of it or put it down. So when he handed it to him, Zero put his hand in it and went, oh, oh, this fish. And he did the whole thing with the fish jumping out. And Jerry said, Zero, Zero, he yelled up on the stage, what? Would you say, what, what? He said, Zero, please. All right, back. Reversed it again. Gave him the bowl. Put his hand. 
zero, come on, let's move on, let's go on, you know? The no, no. So finally, after they let it go, they went, they went by it. Now they had to run through the play, right? They had to run through the scene, and the scene comes up, and the guy, Austin has the bowl in his hand, he's looking at zero, and zero's looking at the bowl, I, and Jerry leans forward, and zero gets the bowl, of course, he puts his hand and he goes, and, and, and Jerry turns to me and he says, isn't he great? Isn't he great? So he so appreciated his impulse mm. and his daringness mm. and, to, and his toughness. Mm. Nobody would think, it, you know, people write about Jerry, but they don't see that side of him, which is that the appreciation of talent. Isn't he great? He says, you're such love in that too, you know. And of course, Zero was not that loving to Jerry because of the McCarthy committee. You know, you know when, when Zero was asked to do the play with Jerry, he of course knew Jerry was great. He said he had been in uh he had been in on the funny way to the form, and Jerry had come in and saved that show. He said, he said, Zero, so will you be in Jerry's play? And Zero said. <laughs> All right, you know, pragmatic, pragmatic. Yeah, Gil. He, you know, there are there people around like Zero. I don't know. Mm. I don't think so. No, no, God, no. There's, there's nobody. You know, a John Candy kind of. Oh, yeah, wonderful. Headed in that direction, but and you know, there historically there have been you know uh, Roscoe Arbuckle wow. you know, back in the day. You know, there's, there's. It, it's it's one of those classical comedic types, uh, and and yes, yeah, someone. Ho hopefully, there's a vacuum that 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 ultimately gets filled. Hopefully, by someone. It's hard, though. It, it is. There's no one quite like like Zero. I, I I agree. You know, I always had a picture of Zero being about to be questioned at the McCarthy committee. He has a tie on. He's wearing a tie and wearing a tie and and a shirt. And he's back, leaning back, kind of relaxed. And the look on his face is, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I dare you. I'm here. Right. Go ahead. Ask, ask me those questions. Go ahead. I mean, it's just like, there's a wonderful story that Kazan, who was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another, another problematic person. Oh, Kazan, you know. Suffered plenty from, from that, that that whole situation. So, you know, giving names and this and that. So go on and on talking about that. And I know we've I know he made a mistake and knew that, but in any case, he talks about walking down 72nd Street. And all of a sudden, somebody grabbed him by the neck with his hand behind him and pulled him back. He realized it was zero for a minute. And zero bent forward and he said, how could you do that? I loved you so much. And let him go. He walked away. Wow. And Kazan said, you know, it hurts so much to me. It's one thing when the left wing doesn't like you and they're angry with you. But when Zero does that, hmm. that's another story. Kazan was totally enthralled also with Zero. It's the real McCoy, you know? I, I I I think of Zero's performance in the front, oh, uh, Martin Rich, the front where you know he he ends up <laughs> jumping from a building. It's it, it it's 
Yeah, I mean, his eyes in that are haunting. But, you know, Marty Ritt did a great job in that. I work with Marty. He did a great job in that. And I thought it was wonderful the way he just opened up you know, a curtain, just blows in the wind and, and zero, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's, so, wow. It's a very good, you know, I, I had a great, a great, a great non-audition for that. Another audition, Marty, who I worked with in the, my first movie, The Brotherhood, was in his room and he, 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 he called me in for the front and I came in and there was this guy, Woody Allen, behind the, the desk with the script up like that. And, 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 uh, and uh, Marty Reed said, uh, 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 Woody, this is Barry. I said, okay, how are you? Nice to meet you, Barry. Nice to meet you in person. It's nice. And then he said, okay, let's start the reading. Never put the script down. I never saw me, I don't think. Yeah, but that was it. Marty just went afterwards. <laughs> he didn't know what to do. He left. <laughs> this scene from the wonderfully understated but neglected movie Heartland features Barry as Jack and Rip Torn as Clyde. This winter, minimum. Well, we only got 50. You know, Stuart. I've seen bad luck follow its own nose to the grave. Is that right? Our folks are always afraid to try anything. Well, old man, how about working with the Yahoos tomorrow? We got enough cash there for 20 ton a head? Well, that does put things in a different light now. I ain't spending the winter riding the grub line around here. Nope. I got some better things to do. What about the Colts? Don't know, Stuart. I'll see how things go down to Mexico. As soon as I get my things, I'll be up after my pay. Your your work in, in in the world of movies, wow, an amazing. Well, you've worked with tremendous people, as, as we've already mentioned. Uh, you, you worked for Roger Corman for a bit. Roger was wonderful to be with. I liked him a lot, and still like him. And uh, terrific with with talented people. You know, he saved Marty 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 Scorsese because it, when we did Boxcar Bertha. We went down about a week and a half or so before to improvise the script and to try to finish it out. Down to Arkansas where it was shot? Down Arkansas. And David Carradine and I had talked, and I could never understand David. You know, this is like another world. And uh, I did that. So I kept saying, what? Hey, who is that? What? He kept saying, he didn't understand me. He said, what? So Marty said, why don't we keep that in the movie? Keep that in the movie. You don't understand each other. And I said, is that great? So during the movie... I also played Marty, and Marty said, you know, I don't know anything about guns, and neither does he. So, you know, I played Marty, really, in the movie. So, a guy from the North who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So, during the movie, I, I Marty, Marty would say, drop the gun, or, you know, but don't, don't get the gun out in time. Somehow along the line, Marty got in trouble with the American, Inter American International, I guess, was the company, right? You know, it was the studio. Yeah, the studio. Arkoff. Arkoff, 
and right. down. And uh, I think they were going to fire him. And one of the things they said was, what kind of a, what kind of a director is this? They don't know their lines. What? What? He keeps saying, what? What is that? Don't they know the lines already? And the other one is, what is this dropping the gun? What the fuck is that with that guy over there dropping the gun? So anyhow, they, they didn't get the rushes. But whatever it was, Roger, who was the producer, of course, of the movie, and who found Marty through his shorts, found Marty with his shorts. I went to Marty's house. I mean, Roger's house. And uh, Roger said, you know, we're going to do this movie and blah, blah. So you're going to be in it. And there's a director downstairs. He's made some shorts that are very good. And I saw them at the San Francisco Film Festival. Go down and talk to them. So was it a place? The Old World. It's called The Old World. Oh, oh yeah. Old World. Oh, oh sure, sure, sure. In, in, uh, in Hollywood. Yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh that place. Oh, my God. That place. Right, right. I met this guy, and, and I, met, I met this guy. He was kind of heavy, and he was cutting sound on husbands. It was Marty. And, and so Marty undid a, an envelope, a big vanilla envelope, and took out a bunch of stills that he had drawn one after the other and started to explain me the character and the, and the script in terms of things he had drawn. I had a lot of ideas. And he um, says, every time you see this guy, you know, he's so bright in the gun. So he, every time I see him, we're going to shoot to the gun. You know what I mean? Because that's how he's going to die. So he says, so look at this picture now. And he showed it to me. I said, wow, that's good. So he was, you know, he was a real film person and he had just been fired. I believe he'd been fired off a movie just, just before that. The Honeymoon Killers, I think, he was fired off of. Mm. And so he had worked on Guess Who's Knocking, that that movie first at, at NYU. Roger was always uh, open to ideas and things. And and he uh, he, he, he saw that there was something in, in Scorsese that was... Uh... Yeah, if, if if you're willing to to indulge some of the, you'll get something worthwhile. Yeah, well, he as I said, he came down to Arkansas and saved the day with those producers. Marty had fired, I think, three cinematographers in a four day a four week shoot because wow. they wouldn't do his drawings, they wouldn't do his storyboards. Or they they would say, okay, kid, come on, let's just shoot the goddamn scene. Something we got like that. Let's get it done, you know. And he did have to get it done, you know. It was only like an eighteen or twenty day shoot. It was it's a big action movie, you know. But if you watch that movie carefully, not carefully, just watch it, you'll see every theme that Marty has, including the crucifixion, is later in all his later films. And you know, when it came out, that was reviewed in the New York Times in a much different way than than anybody thought, because they said, oh, here's a B film. You know, oh my God, this is a little B film. And they said, it's better than the B film. It's always been there on the screen, the caliber of, of his work. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's, it, the audience has always gotten it. There's, there's something riveting about his storytelling. The kinetic energy of his movie making, you know, I, last night I... My son and I, my, my son's 24 and, and I'm trying as hard as I can to indoctrinate him into movies. It's very hard getting Gen Z people to watch old movies, but he had seen a, a, a I forget which Scorsese movie recently and he loved it. And I said, all right, if, if, if you like that, I got a couple of movies you got to see. So last night, uh, 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 Goodfellas. Oh, uh, sure. And, you know, just cause it, it's just got such a great rhythm. The music is terrific. It, it's just, it, 
it's he, Henry Hill's a great character. And yeah, start to finish, you, you can't look away from the movie. It's, but that, that was always there. Great term, kinetic energy, I have to remember that. It's true. The thing about him is he's always directing about something he knows, like Goodfellas, he knows, he knows, he knows. Oh, yeah. He knows it so well. Oh, so that's why yeah. it's so yeah. authentic. On the set, how does, all right, so you're working with him, actor to director, you've worked with him three times? I've worked uh, with him three or four times. I yeah, think. I know, uh, New York, New York, The Irishman. New York, New York, The Irishman. Uh, 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 um, Box Birth in New York, New York. Right. Irishman, and I did uh, The Irishman, and I also did Taxi Driver, but I was cut out of it. Uh, oh, that sucks. Oh, that's that's not fair. So four, four, okay. May have been Bobby who said this. You always know everything's going to work out with Martin because he's going to use you with what you can do. Once he casts you, he's he's going to use you for what what uh, what it is, and he has he he, he portrays great confidence in uh, uh, to you. You know, he used to do this wonderful thing of. Of fixing my tie. He has a thing about ties, so he did. And then he dresses. He's one of one of the few directors who really dresses up like the old fat fashion, you know, Vincent Manelli, you know, the great. Always did that. And uh, suspenders. He looks like uh, he's going to party in a way or something. He has ties. And, and I remember we were in Bosco, he had these ties on the bed and we went through them and he loved this, this tie that was like diamonds. It was a real 1930s tie that someone had found. This time, man, this is fucking great. Let's save it for the scene with this, and we did. Let, let's save it. This is what makes it very, very, very special director. But he used actors. He trusted them to be who they were, because that's really who he cast was who they were. Absolutely, absolutely. His favorite American director was Kazan, and and it's been said that both. Bobby De Niro, and, and he used to say that the taxi cab scene in Waterfront was for them place to go in terms of what they wanted to do on film. And, and Kazan's trick always, find the part in the actor. Find the part in the actor. He would find mm -hmm. it. He was going to use that actor. And of course, it's also he cast the person who had the part in some level too, you know. When he cast James Dean, he he said to John Stomach, you know, you may not like this kid, but he is Cal. Hmm. He is Cal. He's got that. He's authentically, what did he say? He's a, He's got a real sweet streak, and he's got a real mean streak. It's real. It's all there, right there. And we just have to tap it now. Still discussing Ilya Kazan. So he knew more about me in that part than I knew about myself. Because when he asked me, do you think you can do it? You know, I said, uh. well, I don't know. I I just don't know. I don't know. He couldn't read for it. It's a verse place. I'm not going to read you. You can't read for a part like that. I don't think so. He said, I think you can. I think you can. I don't think he's right. He, he knew something. Yeah. That I, I love that observation that he knew more about yeah. something about you than you knew about yourself. Well, one thing he did that, that was wonderful. When we had a company, I was in Lincoln Center with him. He spent time with each person getting to know them a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. I'll never forget my friend Jack Walser, who's a fantastic teacher, always tells a story that he had his meeting with Gadge, as we used to call him. He got that name Gadge from Gadget because when he was in the group theater, he was an apprentice. And he got the job as the Gadget Man. You know, get me this, get me that. You know, I need this prop, I need this screwdriver. And he would get it. He was the like the like the most incredible, you know, assistant you could ever have. He was already staging plays as an assistant director of Harold Clermont when, when he worked mm-hmm. for Harold. He was already, you know, beyond anybody what he was doing. Most yeah. ambitious person alive. Couldn't get in the group theater, they didn't want him. He wasn't a good actor. So he hung across the street in the drugstore, across the street from Carnegie Hall. It was a famous drugstore. Whenever an actor at the group theater needed a partner, he would jump in and that's how he finally whittled him down to attrition. I think, oh my fucking God. I should stop for a second just tell you a funny story Kazan told us. He had to train for a year before they would select who would be in his company, the Lincoln Center Repertory Company. Mm-hmm. That Faye Dunaway, a lot of wonderful people to be in this company. And Kazan said, you know, some of you won't get in, some of you will, don't feel bad. That's just the way it is. You'll go on. He was letting us know that he was going to meet with each person and tell them after a year or eight months or so whether they were in the company. He said, I'll tell you my story. Harold Clerman was putting forward with Lee Strasberg to be at the group theater. And Lee said, I don't want him. I don't <laughs> like him. And he's not a good actor. And I don't want him in the company. He makes me crazy. I, I tell I don't want him around. Columbus said, meet with him, talk with him. Please, Lee. They were going up to the country, to the Green Mansion area. I think it was the Green Mansions or whatever it was. They were going to, for the summer, to put the, the company together. They used to go away for months and work. And Lee needed a stage manager. So Gadge came and says, I want to be a stage manager. And he said, I need a stage manager. He looked at him and he said, you don't want to be a stage manager. I know you don't. He says, I do. I do. That's all I want to do. I only want to be a stage manager. I've given up on everything. I just, if you make me a stage manager, I will work for you. Like, no, man. Clarence said, he means it. He means it, Lee. He's a fantastic, you know, worker and this and that. Take him. Let's take him in the company this summer. Let's, let's, let's try him, try him, try him. You know? Harold was always very generous and a good reader of people. So Lee said, Reluctantly, all right. Be my stage manager, and that's it. All right. Don't bother me about acting. Don't bother me. You be a stage manager. What I need. I get out. You'll be my stage manager. We leave June like that. Let's see what Harold wants you. Let's see. Now go. He left. He got to the door. He said, "Hey, wait a minute." Kazan. He said, "Now that you're in the company, what do you really want?" Kazan turned around and said. What do I really want? I want your job. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess what? A couple of years down the road, Kazan was the leader of the group, one of the leaders of the group theater. It's a great story. I mean, he is unbeatable. We talk about passion, right? Yeah. That's the epitome of yeah. somebody burning alive to do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he was talented, you know, talented, right? Amazing. Meanwhile, back at Scorsese Ties and Boxcar Birthday. And we went out to location. Now it was like a week before we picked the tie. So we got out to location. It was 
middle of nowhere, 50, 60 miles from the motel in Arkansas, nowhere. We got there, and I went in the room and put on my suit and found out the tie wasn't there. I said to, to the stage man, you got to see Marty. I went over to Marty, well, Marty, the tie's not there. He said, what? The tie is not there? Got to have that tie. What are we shooting a scene for, for Christ's sake? That scene is about that tie. Call assistant director. Everybody in that movie, by the way, who was on the crew was in the movie because we didn't have enough actors. So we, he threw Marty through everybody in the crew. And he knew who they were, what they could play. And, and he threw them into, into the movie. So he said, uh, listen, Barry doesn't have a tie. Is there anything we can shoot between now and going back? He said, well, we could shoot something with David, the close-up. Do that. Now go back and get the tie. So it was a 50-mile trip, but back and forth when I got the tie, and then we shot the scene. See, now that... Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotta, the, the, but it's the details, really, that, that's what sets the great greatness apart. It, it knows, it cares about the details. Hi, this is my wife, Julie, who's coming in to give me coffee. coffee. Hello, Julie. Nice Hi. to meet you. Welcome Hello. to the podcast. Hello. Barry's wife, his dancer and choreographer, Julie Aronel. Her resume is incredible, too. Among her credits, she choreographed the original Broadway production of Hair. The manager of Dr. Selavi. Oh, my God. Julie, Julie, Julie was doing all kinds of productions of Hair at that time all over, all over the oh, world. Oh, sure, sure. And supporting us and supporting us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. He did a great job with Dr. Selavi, and that was the beginning of an incredible career that I've observed from a distance all these years. And now we're reconnecting. That's oh, great. Yeah. That's great. That's great. So she's actually going to do another production of Hair, but you, would, you know they're going to still do it a worldwide production, right? Maybe. Maybe. They're Maybe. still holding off on. They're going to do it. Yeah. It's the time. It's the time for Hair now. You know. Indeed, really, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it would work very well now. No. The, the um, uh, Landside Theater. Where? The land, oh, landmark. The landmark. Yeah. yeah. But they're going to do it. They're thinking of doing it as a world tour, a world, a new world tour. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. That score is fantastic. Oh, my God. You know, Galt McDermott and, and Jerry uh, uh, Ragney. Yeah, right yeah, they were great. They were, that score was yeah. fantastic. You know, I the, the, the song, What a Piece of Work is Man, goes through my head every bloody damn day. Yes. What, what a piece of work! I mean, it's it's Hamlet's are are the lyrics, but but it's what a clever use of, of them in that song. You know? Music is so beautiful too. Yeah. yeah. Well, Julie was with work, working with Anna Sokolo. That's how this happened. Oh. And um, when and when Anna dropped out because she didn't do the cheetah thing, the club, mm -hmm. right? and and Jerry knew me. They were in the Robbins thing. Uh, uh, Jerry Ragney was in the Robbins group with me. And they knew Jerry, and they knew Julie as a choreographer. Wow! They were walking down McDougal Street, talking to me about Cheetah, and and they said, "But Barry, your your Julie's a choreographer. Why don't we get her to do the the Broadway production?" So they introduced Julie to Tom O'Horgan, and that wow, was that was it. Ultimately, I I, I want to get to Mistress, which is right. a, a, a terrific piece, but. Uh, before we get there, there there were some 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 great credits, you know. Before then, uh, the Rose, right? Absence of Malice, working with Sidney Pollack, Paul Newman, and Sally Field. Uh, but that, then, the, interestingly, on Golden Pond, you're the casting director. Yeah, well, I worked with Mark Rydell a lot in those days. 
he was at the studio. He saw a piece that I did. I did a little, did a, a 15 or 17 minute piece called monologue about an actress trying to get a role. And she walks around saying the role in different places. And she's the waitress and this and that. And just a lot of wonderful actors. And and Patty Lapone played played the part. Knowing that she was just out of Juilliard. And by the way, uh, Mickey Rourke and Kevin and Kevin Klein both had one line in it. So we had three unemployed actors who did did very well. Matter of fact, wow. I'm about to fin do a new thing with the Patty Lapone monologue. It's about someone looking for a job. So it occurred to me that Patty looking back at it on a video, looking at this, would be a very interesting. Oh, surely, surely. Isn't that extraordinary? So we're gonna we're gonna shoot a scene of her watching it when I get to New York. Yeah. So yeah, so I knew Mark very well, and. When he did The Rose, he hired me. And on The Rose, I was his assistant, and I played a role in it. And I did casting in it. And then later on, in Golden Pond came around. He hired me just to go around to New York and Chicago. And and, and uh, one role I was looking for, which was The Young Boy, which, mm -hmm. I, which, I, which I helped cast. Mm -hmm. so I, I worked on that as, as a cat. And then we went on The River. I would also cast on that. And right. in, in the movie. Mark was a theater person, and he had the revolutionary idea that we should read the goddamn movie before we shot it, which I never can understand. People spend $200 million on a movie. They don't come together with the actors and read it. Right. But, of course, we did that all, 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 all the time, all, all the time. So Mark was a big influence uh, and uh, kind of a mentor to me, too. You also worked with Paul Mazursky on uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, uh, another really a terrific, really hugely talented filmmaker. It was a big deal, you know, uh, very alive, very funny. Uh, the the title that I love, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. That's right. That is, wow, what what a what a great credit that, to have on your bio. But that was Jonathan Lawton. Right, who and Jonathan? We should point out that, that that Jonathan Lawton wrote ultimately a Pretty Woman. That's right. And Under Siege, you know, he this 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 was not some some schmuck. This was this was this was a guy who who you know, hey, he had some serious credits, and one of them was Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death. Well, Jonathan and I came and he wrote Mistress with me and J Jonathan and I were and, and we did another movie together that well Jackson which has never been distributed it's a wonderful movie about homelessness very funny wonderful original movie that never could get enough traction get a real release out one one prizes all over the world but didn't have an audit no one no one no one knew what to do with it um mm -hmm. but Jonathan was a student at um, Cal State Fullerton, I think, and Riverside or Fullerton. And Bill Waxman had done a movie with me called Talking Walls. And uh, it was a mess. And Bill Waxman knew John's father, who had writ written a movie, uh, written a book called Tell Them Willie Boy Is Here. Oh, sure. Later became a movie with Robert Redford. Mm -hmm. But he had a son, Jonathan, who was in school. And so they asked Jonathan uh, to edit this movie, re-edit it. So Jonathan and I met. Jonathan 
I met in a screening room. He was not 21 or so. And I said, you're going to re recut this thing? He said, yes, I'm going to shoot some scenes and build it up and get some ideas. I said, I don't want to be arrogant or anything, but what makes you think you're going to take over the movie now and just, you know, just take it over and do it? How, how do I know you're, you're any good or anything? And he said, the line I used in Mistress, I went to the same school as Steven Spielberg, he said to me. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was his credit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I was intrigued because I love the. You have the same dentist. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of of, of a Corman idea, kind of like of you know, a, he had his school. He was going to get his school to use their their equipment, and, you know, all that, and 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 uh, and so we did. We went down to his school and we shot some things down there. And we used them in the movie. And I liked Jonathan. When we teamed up, I had this script about an actor based a little on De Niro, which I've never really said, but it was, and myself, like an actor out in New York trying to make it in the world. It was an interesting script. And I, Phil Waxman, who I lost track of and really liked a lot, is the, who Marty Landau plays in the movie. The producer out of out of out of work. So had a big heart, Phil. First, you've got to come to terms with your backers. If I'm gonna do the film, we're gonna do it my way. He's got a girl too. There's no sex in your film. There has to be more sex. Great idea. Mistress. Am I really considering this? So we took some meetings. And all the characters in Mistress, three or four guys that are written it, are all real people that I got to know. And I knew they're girls. So one day I was interviewing them for their for their for their money and to, none of them read the script, you know, whatever it is, but not I was introducing uh they're all kinds of characters, oh my god. And and you know, and they all had girls and I felt for them. You know, they all had reasons. All the girls had reasons, all the guys had reasons. Or as Renoir says, what in the rules of the game, everybody's got their reasons. The longer you live, the more you understand everyone's got. Well, it was that way. And one day I went to a guy played by Danny Aiello in the movie and his girl. And this girl was a stewardess or something. And she, all she wanted to be was funny. She wanted to be in a comedy. She was the least funny person I ever met. She was so sad. And Danny, Danny's character, kept telling me about the landings that MacArthur had done in the Philippines. <laughs> he was a veteran. And great story, like, and I have it in the movie. So, you know, they were saying, we're going to land at the beach. And when we land on the beach, you'll all walk in as the LSDs hit, hit the ground. Then you'll all walk into the beach. And at that point, you know, we'll have secured the beach. And that'll be it. And then we'll walk into the jungle. We'll have captured Manila. And this character says, so I listened to it. Finally, I raised my hand. He says, we're going to go in in low tide. We love low tides. And so he raised his hand and he said, I said to McCarthy, well, what if it's high tide? McCarthy just gave me a dirty look. He says, guess what? We landed. It was high tide. Everyone drowned. That motherfucker killed us all. So he had these stories and he couldn't focus on the movie because he got so involved with telling me and she then wanted to be funny so I, I walked out of the lunch with Jonathan I said Jonathan 
what the hell are we doing? Why are we making this movie? Let's make a movie about the people who want who we're trying to raise the money from. That's it. So we started walking around the block and come up with ideas. And John came and I, I said, we can get this to Roger Corman. I'll have just a seat. One person will, different people will sit in the chair and then have the same pitch to each one over and over again. That'll be the film. And then we, we started with that idea. And by the time we walked around the block, I said, yeah, but what if he wasn't, what, what if he's trying to be married? And, and I started, so Jonathan wrote kind of like outline. I think he wrote the great ending too, it not sure. I think he did. He's a wonderful writer, talent as can be. And I started working on the life around him. I knew a guy who was doing cooking videos who wanted to be a film director. So I put him in and, you know, all this and that. Uh, I almost put Bobby had a story of a guy in, on his block somewhere in Little Italy, a little Italy. Bobby, Bobby lived in, you know, Portisha, but he lived, but he knew putting in Little Italy, was dying to make a movie who went anywhere to pitch the movie. He went up finally to Texas on a horse to an oil rig. This guy from, from Little Italy yelling at the guy in the oil rig. He said, he was telling I, I had, you know, so it was so exciting to me. So we went away. Uh, I, I I had a little money. We went away to a, to a motel in the desert. We had five days there. And after the five days, we had written, I would say, more than half the movie. And I wrote, I stood and acted out the characters, all of them. And, and uh, all did, all John did was sit at the, uh, the, the, the uh, typewriter. Typewriter back then. And just as type away. And then we would go over together. And that's how we started working together. And he was, you know, fantastically talented. And during the breaks, we would walk around the reservoir. He told me he was going to make a movie that became under siege. And of course, I don't know, this is a little bit of a, a crazy thing, but during my birthday, he came and presented me with this script because we had had an argument about how to, well, he turned out to be right. It was about how to use a character that's not directly related. We were arguing about this thing, whether he stay in the script, not stay. And so he presented me with the script on my birthday, and it was called 5,000. And, uh, and uh, about a prostitute who, uh, who finds out what a good life is and then is left in the lurch at the end. Mm. So it was, you know, pretty woman with a very dismal ending. Mm. And I tried to, he said, this is for you. You know, we're going gonna to make this together. And uh, I went down, I was in Argentina, I was shooting a movie down there. Thought it was a great place to make the movie because movies were being made there very cheaply. And I tried to raise $300,000, I couldn't do it. And then finally, his manager. Gary was, Goldstein. Gary, how did you know Gary? You know I, Gary? I know Gary for a long, long time. Small work. Gary sent this script as a sample to Disney. Right. And then they read it overnight, decided to do it, but to, to change, change, change the ending. So then after that, Jonathan and I got involved with a very creative project, Jackson, which I love. Maybe you guys, I'll send it to you sometime. It's a movie that should have been- Great, love- My favorite film, one of my favorite films. Love to see it, love to see it. Oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. Jonathan, very imaginative in it. It took eight years to finish, <laughs> and uh, a passion project. Uh, 
yeah, Jonathan was great on it, and I love doing it with him. And very original take on homelessness. You guys, in, in in Mistress, there's there's a line that 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 when I I, I caught it the other day, it, it jumped out at me. Uh, don't play Donald Trump with me. <laughs> no, it always one goes. character says that line. Yeah. Wow. It's 1990. Yeah, 1990. 1991 is, is, is the release date. It gets a laugh. I guess he was an asshole even back then. I mean, uh, yeah. He, he guess he, I don't know. I know it always gets such a big, big, big laugh. You know, it's another big laugh in that. In that. And I, I, I told Bobby about it. He said, I can't believe that. It's true because Bobby is such an anti Trump guy, you know. You know, Tony's when he said fuck Trump and all that. No, it's like one of the first people to to really do that. You know, you remember how how uh, sweet he, he he is, Gil. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And, you know, he, it's the opposite of he said, you know, they say Donald Trump is a, a mafia guy or a gangster. He gives the mafia a bad name. <laughs> he, he never had a fight in his life, but like to fight. he gets crazy when you talk about Trump. He was very very good about it. You know, oh yeah, the line I was going to say that Bobby that I was gets a big laugh is one of the characters. The young guy is de is defending Marty Landau, who's phenomenal in the film. I mean, he's wonderful in the movie, Marty Landau. And the young guy defends. I would not be who I am, Mister Wright, who Bob plays the guy they're trying to get money from, unless I defended my my, my producer. And Bob turns to him, he says, how old are you, kid? He says, I'm 25. He says, talk to me in five years. <laughs> oh, he's got a huge, <laughs> just dismisses him. At, at that time, everybody was young. You remember, anybody who was below 25 should be making a movie. They were genius, you know? <laughs> uh, it's, got, it's gotten younger now. I don't know. It's you you had an amazing cast uh, in 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 Mistress. People should should really seek it out, and we'll 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 link to places where they can watch it. But you, Robert Wool, Martin Landau, as you said, uh, uh, Tuesday Night is very good in it. Uh, Eli Wallach, Danny Aiello, Gene Smart is very good. Of course, uh, this this De Niro fellow that you you keep mentioning, Cheryl Lee Ralph is fantastic in it. I know she is. She is. Ernest Borgnine. Or there's Bergnine, is there Laurie Metcalf, Christopher Walken? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's really what a I, I you know, he, Eli Eli was my Eli's always been a hero to me as a person. He's, he's you know, it, it was a testament to uh hey to to your body of work at that point that when when you went and did you know your your passion well, project, you know, I had this I had up. yeah, but I had I had this calling card that Bobby was producing it so you know they were all all want to work bobby was very very nice i i he talked to eli and Eli says i don't have time bobby i don't want to go out to la i'm gonna be out there and bobby said yeah but read the script she, she reads the script you know it's, it's one of many it's one it's an ensemble piece you know so but well written i know but so he he says i don't really want to do it i said something like that so bobby said to him I was by the phone. He said, Eli, meet Barry, but just just meet him for a couple of minutes in the room. And he paused and he said, and don't say yes until he's finished talking, okay? 
<laughs> so Bobby felt I was so represented the project with such passion, and I was so there that Eli was going to go, I'll do it, I'll do it. He was yeah. right. Eli said, I'll do it, I'll do it. But he passion, passion is uh, great to have in your corner. It's It, it wins so many arguments. I, 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 I can't tell you what it was like to be with Marty and, and Eli, you know, because it was just such wonderful human beings. And uh, Eli, such a, a depth of, of uh, humanity. We're talking about that, you know. Mm -hmm. His father, I think, was a, a union organizer. You felt all that in him. You know, you felt the best of that immigration of, of, of that time. I have one great story about, about Marty. It was a line that he couldn't get. I didn't think it was funny. So I, I try not to give line readings because what happened is the actor will give you back the line reading. That's not what you want. You want to give them the intention of the line, but not the line reading. So you try and you go around. But finally, I was like beyond myself. I say, Eli, he... I've mean, got to go over there or I won't make it. And if you don't do it that, whatever the line was, I actually spit the line at him. He said, is that how you say it? I said, yes, that's how you say it. Now let's go. Come on. We got to do it. He said, oh, wait, 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 wait. One second, one second. Turns to the crew. He says, ladies and gentlemen, something like that, that how he said it. Said, I work with Sergio Leone and Kazan. And, you know. <laughs> I work with Fellini. I work. And he went on and on and on with the list. And he said, and I never, this is the first line reading I've <laughs> ever been given. And I want to say to Barry, I like it. Thank you. <laughs> and, he, and he shot the scene. It was just great. And he nailed it, of course, in his own way. They were just, just it was just the, the super, super people, you know, Danny Aiello. Such lovely people. They sat around and telling stories that were just so delightful. You should have shot the stories that they all told. No doubt. If 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 someone had had the if there had been cell phones back then, my my God, the uh, how viral would these things go? You know, D Danny was such a, a an interesting, lovely, lovely guy, and he plays a sweet part of. Sweet side of himself in that, you know. He had already done do do the right thing and all, all that, mm -hmm. you know. So wonderful. So sweet. They were all. Did you mention that Chris Walken's in the movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Chris. Chris and I were went on a trip together, and we were there. And I said to him, "You know, you're going to do this. Could you do this one scene?" He says, "Will you commit suicide?" He says, "I can't do it. My my agent." I mentioned is my age. Hey, don't do anything that's a downer like that, Chris. You, that's what you're marked with. You're marked with these kinds of fucking, you know, you're always down. Don't do that. So we're walking on the beaches. I, I, I don't know. I got a little, I just listen to it, Barry. Listen to it. Chris is like, you know, Chris is a terrific guy and an artist. And he, he so the next day I go down. I go down the beach again. And he's down there. I say, hey, Chris, let me ask you something. I know, I know you're not going to do it. I got it, I got it, I got it. Do people commit suicide? What do you think? He says, of course they commit suicide. I said, hmm. Well, if they commit suicide, don't we have to kind of like 
are we obligated in a way, something, I don't know exactly what I said, something like, are we obligated? Don't we have to show, doesn't somebody have to show what that is, what that is, what do people, what people go through, that, that we see it? He says, yeah, that's true. I'll do it, Barry, but don't tell my agent, don't tell anybody else, just bring me out there and I'll do it. And that was it. That's he, great. He, he thought for a moment and then he came up with, with uh, you know, his own thing, you know. And I had a psychiatrist friend of mine, he's my old oldest, one of my oldest friends, Buddy Klexman. He said, Barry, don't show suicide. Now movie successful suicide encourages other people to to do it. Mm-hmm. I said, Well, what can you do about that? He says, Well, you, somehow you have to somehow they have to know it's crazy. I said, Got it. I'll always represent it in the movie as okay, he was crazy, but you know, and so I did that because of that it's another one chris just to have chris around you know in his own mysterious mysterious quality you know it 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 did seem to the 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 times that we came out of and perhaps were were prejudiced but uh, it it did seem to breed a lot of giants well hugely talented people with yeah. incredible bodies of remarkable work and well, uh chief chief among those people is you barry and uh i i i cannot thank you enough for for just giving a, a, just a a but a, a taste of everything of what an amazing life you've had <laughs> well i'm gonna have it the rest of the day it's mother's day here we gotta indeed. have it man. indeed and and uh it being mother's day i've, I've got some mother's day stuff to do i'm, I'm sure you do gil uh like I said, this it's a pleasure to meet you under any circumstances, but, but these circumstances are always good. I look forward to having a part two to this conversation if, if you're open to it. We have but scratched the surface. You There's so much. Oh, well, like I said, there, we can like go you know, movie more, by like movie. More about you guys. What you guys well, you know, we, we've got a podcast that that, that 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 does a lot of that speaking for us. But uh, thank you again for, for doing this. And like I said, we will do this again with you. Uh, Barry, thank you. thank you so much. Because just, just catching up with you after all these years uh, was such a treat. I really appreciate it. And I hope you'll stay in touch and we'll talk some more. Yeah. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll yes. see you next time. The How Not to Make a Movie podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast. Follow them for what my old pal the Crypt Keeper would have called terrific Crypt content.